morning, everyone. Obviously, there's a lot of things, right? I mean, it happened at 1230 at night. Uh, a lot of the people in the community first thought it was fireworks because of the, the time of year that it is. There aren't too many more details available other than that this morning. We want to be in prayer for that. Um, kind of in a similar vein, more on the positive side, uh, Friday night there was a Community day, I'd say Friday night, Friday afternoon, early evening, in um, the uh, in Harbor House community here in Annapolis. It's uh, one of our housing projects. It's where the young lady, Amari, was shot and killed at the beginning of the month, uh, where she was where she was shot and killed. Anyway, that community had a community day. I uh, spent uh, Friday afternoon. Just talking with people, praying with people, getting to know folks in the community a little bit better. But uh, they, they even had uh, had some folks out speaking about gun violence. They had a mother there that had lost a child a few years ago in this event, a gunshot, and um, she proclaimed that our only hope. In Jesus Christ, uh, and, uh, and, but nonetheless, there's obviously a challenge breakdown in our communities at large, but certainly amongst our poorer families, those communities have been plagued for some time. And what we need is the gospel proclaimed, God's law proclaimed, so sin can be identified. And we need to be praying for uh, these things. So as we uh, prepare to consider Psalm 16 this morning, let's go to God in prayer and ask uh, for uh, these things. Our God and our Father, we give you praise. We thank you for waking us up today and bringing us together to study your word. <coughs> Excuse me. May we be drawn to you. Lord, grant us wisdom to understand your word. Lord, we pray that you would open up the eyes of the lost, that you would strengthen your church, that we may proclaim your truth in all of our communities. Lord, we pray for the families that are grieving today, those that are recovering from violence. Lord, there is no peace outside of you. There is no reconciliation of all things except in you. Lord, we ask for peace. But more importantly, Lord, we ask that the nations be converted, even our very own neighborhoods and communities. 
We ask all of this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. We are uh, going to be studying Psalm 16 uh, today. And uh, is there someone that would like to read Psalm 16? For us. All right. Just as a notation, um, not all the scriptures, modern versions do this, uh, but I would uh, strongly suggest to folks that when you see the, that introduction, like we see here, a mention of David there at the top, you see that, read that as part of what you're reading. Um, that's been part of the scriptures um, since, you know, the, the Old Testament was translated into Greek with the Septuagint. So um, we have no reason to not consider it uh, to be so, but like in the case of what she saw, you know, it's set up as a like some sort of addendum that maybe we put in and insert it, but in fact um, it's been part of the manuscript of Scripture um, as far as we can tell since the very beginning. <laughs> well, um, I am going to address that here in just a second. Now, in, in, in this case, it's probably a little different, but we'll, uh, we'll talk about that here in just a second. In, the, in these 11 verses, um, there are um, six sections, if you will, or six points being made, separate ideas. Um, we, we see, and, and I'm just going to outline this real quick, and then we'll come back and go through the verses briefly. Uh, but but we see that um, there's a strong sor- uh, uh, a strong confidence in God in verse one. We see in verse two that that He's the author of David's happiness. Um, we see also that He's got a strong attachment to God's people in verse three and verse four an abhorrence to uh, other gods. 
Um, and then it's interesting because in uh, verses 5 and 6, and this is a word I want to emphasize here, there's an acquiescence to the providences of God. And it's, when you read it, it looks like um, he's just talking about God bringing blessings. And who wouldn't want to just say, oh, yes, God, bring on the blessings. But really, the reality is, in the context of this psalm, um, it is acquiescing or giving ourselves over to what God puts in our life, both the challenges and the blessings. Um, and I think that's uh, really important for us to see. And then um, we also see that there is an assured hope of future safety and blessedness in verses 7 through 11. And so, having, having said that, I'm constantly amazed that, uh, and, and I pray that you guys see this as well, when you're doing your, your Bible reading, when you're listening to God's Word, when you're hearing it read or preached, um, I, I hope that pray that God is helping you see the continuity of His Word, how it's connected, how it really is one story, God's reconciliation of his elect people, the called people of God, right, to himself, right, from Genesis to Revelation. And we want to uh, be mindful of this. And so when we uh, look into Psalm 16, we see these very same things, not just its connectedness uh, to other uh, portions of Scripture, but part of the narrative of what God is doing and, and how we are uh, to react. So let's talk about the Mitchum of David. It is not abundantly clear what that word means, but we can, by recognizing um, in similar places uh, where it is used, um, that it is, it, it would appear both in the Psalms and perhaps even in Hezekiah's Psalm in uh, Isaiah uh, 38, um, that it's about hiding in God, about hiding in God. Um, and again, I say this is, you know, there's obviously some debate. Others have suggested it's, it's uh, some type of, old or special thing, and obviously uh, hiding ourselves into God can be um, a, a, uh, a place of, of goodness, and, and one might say of value like gold. I'm not sure how they arrived at that. I just know that that's among uh, the discussions um, of it. <clears throat> Irregardless, we can look at this psalm and see that it is both um, Speaking to the, the difficulties, so you look at verse 1, right? Um, after it says, a mention of David, it says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. Right? So that, that doesn't sound like everything is going well, right? And we know from the book of Psalms, we see David frequently crying out to God for relief, right? Um, so first of all, what we need to, to learn from this, it's just a repetitive thing through the Psalms. It is right that we should bring our troubles to God. Right? That's important that we remember that bringing our troubles to God doesn't mean 
telling our troubles to everyone because sometimes our troubles can turn into gospel, right? Um, you know, if you're really trying to sort through a challenge or a problem, let me commend to you to not go to more than two or three people, right? And in that way, if it's just two or three faithful people that you're looking for counsel on, um, you're keeping it very contained. But certainly before God, we can get before God and we can cry out to be given relief from what's going on in our lives. Sometimes we need to be preserved um, from uh, our health challenges, right? Uh, just this week, um, I know some of you have been praying for uh, uh, I sent an out pastor, Pastor Steve Wilkins, who was identified with cancer last year, uh, recently said that... Uh, looked like he was clear after many months of, of uh, prayer and treatment, and this week, after a PET scan, um, they've declared him free and clear of cancer, so we're thankful to God for that, right? I'm thankful because I know the church there, they just brought on a younger guy in his 30s, and I'm excited to see that Pastor Steve will be along to help him for another good five years, perhaps, so that he can get to 40. Uh, before he assumes full um, full leadership as a pastor there. But, but we can go to God with our sicknesses and ask to be preserved. We can ask for God uh, to preserve us from all kinds of challenges and issues. And it's, it's very interesting. David has the same response over and over again in the Psalms. On the one hand, he says, save me, preserve me. And on the other hand, he says, for in you, uh, I put my trust. There's always this response of, I go to you, and I'm trusting you. And of course, as we look at, at this uh, uh, psalm, we will understand that that trust isn't just simply at a, at a base level. right? In other words, I kind of generally, but I'm actually going to specifically interact trust in God through even what appears to be, um, and oftentimes in our lives, real hardships, real hardships. And so we see in verse 2, it says, O oh my soul, you have said to Yahweh, you are my Lord, that's lowercase, my goodness is nothing apart from you, right? So there's an acknowledgement of fealty. God Almighty, you know, that, that's kind of the challenge, isn't it? Our sinful nature, it contends with, with uh, being in submission to God. I'm, okay, maybe it's just me. No, I, I, but, but we need to recognize that um, we, we need to say there's a recognition here, and you are my Lord. And part of this is, let's read it again. Oh, my soul, you have said to Yahweh. So he's speaking of his own soul, right? His own soul has said, Yahweh, you are my Lord. He is reminding himself of the fact that he has in the past declared that God is his Lord. And, and this, is, this is kind of important. You know, why, why do we come to the table every week? Because we're reminding God of what he has said to us. 
in that, what happens? We're reminded too, right? But that memorial is a memorial of reminding God of his promises. And here, the psalmist, David, is saying, in my own soul I've said that Yahweh is my Lord. And what? That my goodness, all the good things in me, good things that I do, good things that I have, nothing is a part of God himself. Now that's, that's, uh, that's interesting. You know, we need to stop and take time and remind ourselves of all that God has given us. Now, even in this room here today, we have people that have suffered great loss, family, friends, people that have struggled or are struggling, great health challenges. We have struggles with our children. We have struggles in, in many areas. And at the same time, God has been gracious. He called us out of our sin. He's given us life. He's given us uh, a calling in our daily life. All that we have, right? We, we didn't get any of it that God didn't give to us. And we need to remind ourselves. When we think about that, does that make us more joyous? I guess everybody needs coffee. Right? Does it make us more grateful? Right? So, so we probably ought to take an assessment of these things more frequently than um, just on the day of Thanksgiving. Right? What, you know, do we, do we have a day a week where we pause and, and remember all that God has done for us? Well, the first answer to that is yes, right? What day is that? Lord's Day. Right? And what do we what should we be doing? We should be, as we talked about, preparing for the Lord's Day. Right? So maybe part of what we're doing is reflecting on Saturday night the things I am thankful for, I'm grateful for from God. Right? And then maybe if you have kids, or maybe as a couple, you sit at the table on Sunday morning at your breakfast table. I know some of y'all didn't. But, but but pausing for a minute, even if it's nothing other than pulling up into the driveway, taking two minutes in your car, and saying to each other what you are thankful to God for, in preparation to come in here and be grateful to God. And, you know, it's really interesting, because look at verse 3. As for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones, and whom all, whom is all my delight? You know, when when you say it right there after what I just said, you see how it almost sounds like it's connected to the Lord's Day, right? Now we know it's not just about the Lord's Day, but it reminds us of our connection to the saints. Um, when I was reflecting on this, I was thinking about, you know, as for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Um, you know, let's let's be honest. If we for a second consider when we sit in here on Sunday morning and you look to your right, you look to your left, and you look in front of you and behind you, and what do you see? You see all the other members and, excuse me, adherents to this church, right, or visitors. 
And what do you see? You see children, older people. That person who always seems to run you over with their words. You see all of these things, right? Do you consider your kids the excellent ones? They're the saints of God, right? Um, can we be grateful for the stresses that are inside the body of Christ? That's not a rhetorical question. Can we be? Should we be? Why, why, why should we be thankful for the stresses in our relationships? I can't hear you well. So give thanks in all circumstances. What did you say? Count it all joy. What were you going to say? Sanctifies us. There we go. We can be grateful because of the stresses. We can count it all joy. We, we, we can um, be thankful in these things, but also recognize that that is one of God's ordinary means of exposing our sin so that we can confess it. You think about that for a minute. Right? All of a sudden, it takes it away from the saints in the room being problematic to me. Right? That they're the problem. Now, I'm not saying that they don't have sin. But, it, but what it does is that turns it around and you say, wait a minute. What is my part in this? What's my part in this? I just think that's important for us to think about because the truth is we don't often say, whew, as for the saints that are on this earth, yeah, they're the excellent ones in whom I delight. <laughs> right? That almost has a ridiculous nature when you say it like that. Right? But, but this is what we should do. It also encourages not, not just on the Lord's Day to get together to talk to one another, to bear one another's burdens, but to be encouraged to communicate with each other throughout the week. Which means what? you got to be purposeful in it. Then verse 4, it says, Their sorrows shall be multiplied who hasten after another god. Their drink offerings of blood I will not offer, nor take up their names on my lips. So, he's, he's very clear here. There are great sorrows that are multiplied on those who hasten after another God. What, what, what do you think last night in that mass shooting where 30 people are shot? Two are dead. Have they been hastening after another God? Now, with 30 shot and that much gunfire going on, there could have been people who uh, were servants of the Lord Jesus Christ amongst them, either bullets going through a window or through a wall or something of that nature, right? But for those that are doing all that shooting, right, that that, that is uh, much sorrow because they're hastening against, you know, towards other gods. And I know I'm picking this really drastic thing that happened last night to, to point out, but... How about yourself? When you hastened towards other gods before God called you, your sorrows multiply. What about the people around you that you know? 
And and here again, I'm just I, you see this language, this liturgical language. Their drink offerings of blood I will not offer, nor will I take up their names, that is, the names of their gods, on my lips. Okay? So, there's an understanding that no matter what your idol is, you have a liturgy of worshiping them. Right? Those that serve other gods, there's a methodology to what they do. For those who worship money, do you think there's not a liturgy to how they live their life going after that money and the carnage that may be around them because of it? Right? So we need to recognize you know, this is another good way to look at your own life and to see if you have, have idols that you've let come in. Right? Your, your daily life, your weekly life, is there, is there a liturgy? Are you offering things to those gods? Go ahead, John. I think is important to note on that is that they were prohibited from actually drinking that blood, right? And there were very clear directions about how to deal with it. And as it related to their sacrifices, it it, it was measured in the fact of, you know, we're not bloodthirsty like you might see in a movie where someone as they slice, and, you know, there's blood splattering everywhere, right? It was very. Here's how you do it. Here's where the blood goes. This is what you do with this. It's very measured, right? Uh, God and, and how he operates um, is not bloodthirsty, right? Um, and, and, of course, two things I point out, just one attachment to what he's saying, you know, that, that uh, uh, during the Old Testament, that cup or bowl of, of blood of grapes or wine that, that was sitting on the table of showbread, every day, at the end of the day, remember the priests were able to eat the bread, they had to eat it in the sanctuary, but that bowl of wine was poured out. Right? It was poured out. They never consumed it. In the new covenant, we come to the table, God's peace table, and we eat the bread and we drink the wine. We're in full reconciliation to God in that way. As it, it just shows other limitations of, of what was going on in the old covenant. One last thing about taking the, the other gods' names on their lips. Remember that from Babel, the story of Babel, where we learn how the word lip means uh, culture, religious culture in particular. And not that this is the same exact word, but it's something for us to consider and say, uh, the, the culture of idolatry, right? I'm not going to allow the culture of idolatry to be in my life. All right, verse 5 says this. 
O Yahweh, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. I'm going to do verse 16 with this together. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. Um, so both of these, this is this, this place where um, I, I emphasized earlier about acquiescing to God, like in other words, receiving what God has given us. And here, um, the psalmist declares, O Yahweh, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. So all that I have, what's been given me, um, has come from you. And God is the one who maintains what he's given you. Have you ever suffered great loss? Things you thought would be your inheritance? Right? Your savings lost. God is the one who gave it. And he's the one that maintains it. You know, in verse 6, you know, again, it's the same discussion. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. That's about the division of the land and the inheritance of God's people. And yes, I have a good inheritance. Now, this is interesting because, again, we could look at this and say, oh, this is all about the good stuff. But God's the one who maintains. God's the one who's given it. And But there's an acknowledgement here. Yes, I have a good inheritance. Now, if, if you think for just a second... Right? Were all of the inheritances equal? They weren't equal. Well, first of all, you think about this. If, if you know, at least in our culture, uh, around here, what's the most valuable property? Waterfront, right? Now, can't everyone be waterfront property, right? Right? There's limitations to that. So it's not all the same. So part of what is being said here is we need to receive what God has given us with a, with a heart of thanksgiving. And God does give, and he maintains, and in some cases he takes away. And our response ought to be that of the psalmist in saying that I have good
agree with you. So maybe if I wasn't clear on this, I'm trying to be clear. It isn't just about the land. That's the language that's being used. But I am trying to emphasize to every single one of us, whether it's money, life, whatever, whatever it is, God gave it to us, right? And it is good. Because everything God does, right, he's going to be glorified in it. Now, we can't understand that. Yes. There is a reference that being weak, I think, or in that sense. I, I don't know the exact dimensions of that, but in terms of position and place, I would say this. At that point, Benjamin, who was a smaller tribe, was a smaller geographic area, they're king. He, they, you know, they're the rulers. So who am I? I'm, I'm not a tribe of the part of the king's family. I'm, I'm part of these lowly shepherds over Because, you know, no matter where you go in the world, it seems like shepherds are considered to be like the, the least among the people. Right. Um, and so I think that was part of what he was driving at, that who am I in that as, as well? sort of like this when I describe my ancestry on my mother's side those all trace back to you know, the lords of Ireland and even back to uh, Charlemagne and through marriage even King Alfred my, my father's side of the family they were the ditch diggers of Ireland okay I mean just kind of like that, that diversity of, of families there and so whether you're of high esteem or low esteem all of us should be thankful to God um, in this and see it as a good inheritance. Um, so uh, then uh, we see here in verse, beginning with verse 7, I will bless Yahweh who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. I have set Yahweh always before me because he is at, he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. And well, let me read through the end, and then we'll connect these together. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So this last section, 7 through 11, is interesting because you think about this. It, it begins with the acknowledgement of what God has done. God, you know, I will bless Yahweh who has given me counsel. You know what part of that counsel is? He's opened up your eyes to understand his word. He's called you, right? He's brought us in so that we can receive his counsel. Think about this. Have you ever talked to someone about the gospel and they, and they uh, uh, didn't 
take God's word as valid to speak into their life. Right? God's the one that helps them understand. So we understand because Yahweh has given us counsel. He's opened up our eyes to see and understand. And because of that, God is always before us. When you hit your hardships, some are great catastrophes, like death or news of a bad health situation. Others, right, our difficulties are, if I have to contend with my son one more time on this thing, right? Does that ring a bell in anybody's life? I know some of you don't have kids, but but you've all been there with some child, right? And yet, God himself, right, is always before me. He's right there with us. His grace is there, his call is there, his counsel is there. And what? We can trust in him. Because he's at my right hand, I shall not be moved. I can rest in the things that God tells me about all of those things, whether it's catastrophic challenge or whether it's just the daily challenges of life. If we obey his counsel, we won't be moved. We rest in God and what he's given us. We won't be moved. In uh, verse 9, it says, Therefore, so the response is, right, even in the difficulty, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh will also rest in his hope. Well, think about this. You're so, you're so glad, right? And all, all the things that you could stack up to give to God your glory, it rejoices because of what God has done and how he's always before me, and all these things he's doing, right? And so what happens? We can then rest in hope, right? In the midst of hardship and difficulty, we can rest. You know, one of the things we saw with with the, the COVID, uh, I don't want to call it pandemic per se, uh, but it was a pandemic of fear. Why, why were so many drawn up in hard fear? Because they had no rest and hope. So people of God, we can rejoice and rest in God's hope. Let me try to wrap up these last two verses really quickly for us. Uh, verses 10 and 11, you're familiar with, For you will not leave my soul in shield, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. Presence is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now, um, again, kind of meditating on this, studying this, I was thinking about the implication of verse 10, right? Um, there are two places um, that this is quoted in the uh, New Testament. Anyone know what they, where they are? In, in Peter's great sermon on the day of Pentecost, he quotes this verse quotes this verse in Acts chapter 2. He's preaching in Jerusalem. You know what's really fascinating? The next time it is quoted is the Apostle Paul in Antioch, and he's preaching a sermon. He's giving the gospel. And in both cases, the reference is to Jesus Christ not remaining dead. 
that it is about our risen Lord. And so whether it was to the Jews or the Gentiles, although in Antioch we do know that he was at the synagogue, but there were very likely uh, in that synagogue um, uh, Gentile uh, worshipers of, of, of God there. But it's, it's important for us to recognize, you know, you think about this, that you know what the fastest seminary course ever was? Jesus, from the day of resurrection all the way until his ascension, right? We know specifically three different portions of Scripture that tell us that Jesus had to explain all in the law and prophets and the Psalms that were about him and that they were all about him, every last word of it, right? And these guys had grown up. They knew the Scriptures, and they didn't understand them, right? I'm amazed at how well, through this work of the Spirit, that, that the, the apostles were able to make all these connections. And so for us today, we can rejoice in this. And so this points to the resurrection of Jesus Christ right here. And then in all of this, because Christ is risen. So if you read this and say, okay, verse 10 is about Christ being risen. We look at verse 11. You will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Because of the work of Christ, because of what he's done, because he is the firstborn among the resurrected, right? We too have the path of life. And in God's presence is fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And I, I just, one last thing on at his right hand. We know that our Lord Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father and that we, as, as it says in Ephesians, are co-heirs and reign next to Christ. So God, the Father, Jesus at the right hand, the people of God to Christ's right, there are pleasures forevermore because of what God has done. So there's, there's this whole contrast going on here in this song. But I think we can rejoice in the gospel messages there. Any comments? That's right. They just had their eyes on the wrong pleasures. Anyone else? I don't know about you guys, but I I, I get excited because I'm enjoying reading and studying. I hope you're you're getting uh, edified in this. And every week I keep seeing the liturgical portions kind of pop out because that's what we're studying on Sunday morning in our services. But let us pray here and end this time of study. Our God and our Father, we give you praise. We thank you for your word. We thank you, O Lord, that you have called us. Lord, that you have opened up our eyes to see and understand your word. We thank you, O Lord, for sending your Son to redeem us from our sins. And Lord, we thank you, O Lord, that in you are pleasures forevermore. We thank you for all the hardships you've given us. And Lord, we give you praise and know that our inheritance is good. We ask that you please prepare our hearts for worship and the renewal of your covenant promises with us. In Jesus' name, amen.